2 Timothy chapter 3. The text we're going to be focusing on, as you can see there, is uh, 16 and 17 towards the end of the chapter. Uh, But to get the proper context, we need to go back to the beginning of chapter 3. And really, if we had the time, it's important because all Scripture is so interconnected to go back to the very beginning of the book. We're not going to do that today. But we are going to go back to the beginning of the chapter, and we're going to take a look at today the purpose of the Word. Why did God give us the Bible? And we can come up with all sorts of answers if I were just to poll everybody. Why, why, did, why do you think God gave us the Bible? And we could give a lot of good answers, a lot of right and true answers, but what does the Bible itself tell us is the purpose of the Word? But before we get into that, let's look at the context here. So I'll read this first, and then we will talk about it for a few minutes. So 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, but know this, difficult times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and capture idle women, burdened down with sins, led along by a variety of passions, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. Men who are corrupt in mind, worthless in regard to the faith, But they will not make further progress, for their lack of understanding will be clear to all, as theirs was also. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for your word. We would be hopelessly lost without it, grasping at what we think you would want or what you think you are like. But Lord, you've made it clear to us in your word how we are to worship you, how we are to praise you, how we are to live our lives. As we study this today, may you open our minds and open our hearts to you. May we hear from you from your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's take a look at the first 15 verses here briefly in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So he says, but know this, difficult times will come in the last days. Now I'm not going to get into a tangent on eschatology here, but the last days is from when Christ first came until Christ comes again. So we have been living in the last days. The entire age of the church is the last days this last period of history before all things come to a conclusion. So in this last days, difficult times will come. They have come. 
We read that in the book of Acts. And you look at church history and you look at the world today, we know that hard times are everywhere. Uh, Ukraine and many other places around the world where Christians are actively persecuted for their belief in Christ. So what is the world going to be like? What has it been like? What is it still like today? This should be very obvious from the text here. He says, for people will be lovers of self. You don't have to look very far to see how selfish the world is today. And I think one of the most obvious examples of that is the horror of abortion. That is the ultimate act of selfishness. I, I don't want to be burdened with this. I don't want to bother with this child. I'm just going to kill this child and move on. That's, and obviously there's many other examples of that, but that seems to be the culmination of the sin of selfishness. You're going to be lovers of money. Yeah, that's pretty obvious. That is the driving goal of just about everything that there is in our society today is the, the love of money, the desire for more and more and more things that will one day all fade away. It says it will be boastful, proud. Well, I can't help but think of uh, the entire gay rights movement and the whole alphabet soup that's involved in that. They, they use the word pride. They take pride in what is sinful and abhorrent to God. What the Bible clearly tells us is not the way we are supposed to live. <clears throat> he goes on to say, blasphemers. You know, it, it's more than okay to blaspheme the holy God in our culture today. But how dare you offend someone's feelings on just about any other issue? And so we see that very clearly in our culture today. Disobedient to parents. That one's pretty self-explanatory, but oh, so critical. Children with each generation that goes on seem to get more and more disrespectful in general, more and more disobedient, more and more just out there on their own, raised by social media and popular culture rather than parents with a strong arm and a strong understanding of God's word. And disobedient kids turn into disobedient adults that do not follow God, that do not love him, and do not listen to him. The text goes on to say, ungrateful, forget the blessings that have been given us. You know, we as Americans have got to be the most ungrateful group of people on earth. All the abundant blessings that we have, all the amazing things that we have, and we complain, and I do too, the price of gas or the price of milk and all these things that have gone up and just, you know, and that's okay. But we are still ridiculously blessed. Here we are sitting here in this nice, comfortable, climate-controlled environment. We're not sweaty. We're not hot. We're not outside batting the flies around. We're not having to worry about wild animals or terrorists coming to get us. Very calm, very much peaceful here. But yet, our, not just us, but our entire culture is one of ungratefulness. We want more. We want more. We want something else. <clears throat> Unholy. Nothing is sacred anymore, is it? Nothing is sacred to the world. Everything is just, yeah, whatever you want. Disrespect that, disrespect this. Nothing is holy to them. Irreconcilable. Slanderers. Without self-control. Boy, that about sums up the whole world right now, doesn't it? Without any self-control whatsoever. Everybody just does whatever they want to do. It's like the end of the book of Judges, right? There was no king in the land, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There is a king in this land, but still everybody does what is right in their own eyes. And we, we 
lauded as freedom as Americans or everyone in the West, but it is a, a turning away from God. It is a lack of self-control to just do whatever we want. Brutal. That's a pretty powerful term. Without love for what is good. In fact, the opposite, a love of what is evil. That sums up our culture today. Just brutal, just mean, evil. And loving those things that are completely opposed to what is right. I read a portion of an article, and I couldn't go on, just the other day, about some abortion provider that on a break from performing abortions went and read in their Bible. What? How do you read that? How do you reconcile those two things? It's just, it's irreconcilable. It's impossible. Yet our culture is so messed up. Treacherous. There's no qualms whatsoever about being treacherous and deceitful to those, ripping somebody off or taking advantage of somebody else. Reckless. Who cares? Whatever. Somebody else's problem. They'll deal with it. Swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That, that about does it right there. The pursuit of pleasure, following after sinful pleasures rather than following after God. That is the ultimate God, the most high God, lowercase g there, in our culture today is that pursuit of pleasure. Oh, I just want to be happy. I just want to be comfortable. And on and on it goes. Verse 5 says, it's, or having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. So looking Christian, even that perception of being a Christian, of doing the right thing, that's a sign of how it's going to be here in our world today. So the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. So not really godly, not really following after Christ, but just looking that way. So Paul sums this all up to Timothy. He says, avoid such people. Stay away from them. Now, there's the, the principle of we need to live in the world but not be of the world. So we can't run off and live in the middle of nowhere as monks or something like that. That's been tried in church history. That doesn't work. What we need to do, though, is live in the world but be separate from it. Recognize the world is a sinful, rotten place but in desperate need of the gospel. He goes on to talk about false teachers in verse 6. He says, for among them are those who creep into households. There's lots of ways that happens today, far more than they did in Paul's day. They have the advent of radio, TV, the internet. It just keeps growing and growing and growing where false teachers and false teachings can seep into your very home very, very easily. It says, and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. So those that are overcome with sin and the guilt of sin and then led astray in that way because those false teachings and those false teachers are going to just encourage that behavior. Always learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. There is an abundance of resources out there in Christianity today to learn all sorts of things. I've met many people filled to the brim with facts from the Bible, church history, theology, and yet their life is a train wreck because there's no application of that truth. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Always learning, always taking in more information, 
but never arriving at a knowledge of the truth. <clears throat> Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, and by the way, these were some of the, we don't know how many there were, but some of the magicians in the court of Pharaoh that opposed actively what Moses and Aaron were doing as they were trying to lead the people out and they would throw down the staff, it would turn into a snake. What did the magicians do? They threw down their, you know, the whole story. That's, that's two of these people here is what is being referred to. So just as they opposed Moses, so these men, referring to the false teachers, also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. That's false teachers. They oppose the truth. For what reason? It could be many. Sometimes it's out of sheer ignorance. They don't even know what the truth is. They're just saying some things that sound good or sound good to them, but it's still in opposition to the truth of God's word. Sometimes it's for profit. Sometimes it's for power. It could be many different things. But these are men that are corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. He continues, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. It'll become very obvious with false teachers. You watch a false teacher, you listen to what they say, which I, I don't recommend, um, but you will eventually find that they're going to trip over themselves. It's not going to make any sense. And many, many times we see that their entire empire that they've built collapses in on itself because of corruption and lies and false teachings. Paul switches gears here, though. He says, you, however, speaking of Timothy, have followed my teaching, and then he continues, but I think it's important to recognize a couple things here. Number one is that we need to be teaching someone else in the faith. Now, the easiest way for us to do this, but sometimes not the most obvious, is as parents of our own children, we need to be teaching them what it means to be a Christian, teaching them on how they are to live their lives and what they are to do. But beyond that, we still need to be teaching others. And this doesn't mean go teach a Sunday school class necessarily, but this means teaching and helping other Christians who have not been as Christians as long as you have and helping them to understand the faith. And by the way, there's always somebody that is watching you and watching your life to see how you are living. So Paul here is very aware of that, especially with Timothy. He says, you have followed my teachings, what I've directly told you, my conduct, how I've lived my life. Those things have to be in sync my aim in life, what was Paul's aim in life? To give glory to God, absolutely to give glory to God. My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. So let's just stop there. So Timothy knew about these things. He understood these persecutions and sufferings. And if we're at all familiar with the book of Acts, we see the horrible things that Paul went through as a result of his faith and his testimony for Christ. He's got the list where he talks about he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned, and it goes on and on and on about all the horrible things that he went through because of Christ. He says, these are persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And then he, he drops this line, verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, notice he doesn't say may be persecuted, might be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It is a fact that you will go through persecution. Now, it's not all going to be the same. 
It's not going to be the government agents come in and cart you away to prison or worse, but that does happen to some Christians still today. But it means we will encounter persecution if we truly want to follow Christ. If you want to follow Christ, you're going to go against all the things we just looked at earlier in the text that the world is talking about and that the world is doing. The world does not like that. The world does not like us at all. The more the world becomes diametrically opposed to Christianity and we stand up for what the Bible clearly teaches and says, the world will hate us and the world will persecute us. Jesus himself said, that's going to happen. They persecuted me. What do you think is going to happen to you? That's a paraphrase there. But that's clearly what is going to happen. This will happen. And Paul tells that to Timothy and he tells it to all of us by extension. If you are truly following Christ, expect persecution. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be shocked by it. It's going to happen. And all the while, verse 13, while evil people and imposters, those false teachers there, will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So that's going to continue. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy had the privilege of being one of the first generations of people to grow up in a Christian home. His mother and his grandmother were Christians, and they taught him the faith. For many of us, not all of us, but we have also had that opportunity to grow up in a very Christian environment. So for us in America, that means you're going to church, you went to Sunday school, maybe you went to Awana or some other equivalent type of ministry. You went to vacation Bible school, you went to summer camp, you had the whole gambit of everything that's out there. Paul is telling Timothy, go back to that. Remember all of those things. Remember what you were taught. And most importantly in verse 15, how you have been acquainted with the sacred writings or the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so that leads us to our text today, speaking about the Scripture. So Paul tells us a number of things here that we will look at. Number one, he says that the Scripture is inspired. He says all Scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. The Bible is unique. There's no other book in all of human history that has ever been written or ever will be written that comes anywhere close to the power of Scripture. It is the only book that is completely inspired by God. That means that God came along and superintended the writings of, or the authors of Scripture in their writings. So what does that mean exactly? That means that the Scripture itself is inspired in everything that it says. It came directly from God. So God knew exactly Paul's demeanor, Paul's temperament, Paul's writing style, same with Moses, same with David, same with Asaph, same with every other author of Scripture. And when they wrote what he wanted them to write, it was exactly the way he wanted it written. So it wasn't as if, okay, here's the general idea, Paul, and then Paul writes it in his own style, and God says, eh, not exactly how I would have said it, but close enough. No, it's exactly how he would have said it, exactly how he did say it. That's the idea of being inspired. There's many great Christian books in the world today, things that have been written in the past, things that are still around today or are being written today, but none of them will come anywhere close to the Bible. None of them are inspired by God. 
None of them does the Holy Spirit come and inspire the author to write exactly what God writes. That is uniquely with the Scripture. This makes the Bible very, very powerful. Al Mohler, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, says that if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. And if you want to hear God speak out loud, read the Bible out loud. This is how God speaks to us. There is no other means by which God speaks to us today. And the book of Hebrews tells us very clearly that God did speak to us in other ways in the past, but we see all of that from the Scripture. We see all of that from the Bible. Today, how God speaks to us is only exclusively through His Word. Too many times we waste so much effort and energy as Christians today trying to find messages from God, trying to find how is God speaking to me, what does God want me to do, and the whole time we have the Bible right in front of us. You know, 500 plus years ago at the beginning of the, or before, I should say, the Reformation began, people did not have access to the Scriptures. Most people couldn't read at all in their own language. And even if they could read their own language, the Bible wasn't written in their own language. It wasn't written in English or French or German or anything else. The Bible the church used at that time was only in Latin. And so you had to know how to read not only your own language, but you had to know how to read Latin. And on top of all that, you had to have access to go and read the Bible, permission from the church or the priest in order to do so. We obviously don't have that problem today. We have the Bible everywhere. We have, I don't know how many great, good versions of the Bible, translations of the Bible in English available to us today. If I were to poll each and every one of you, I bet we probably have like 500 copies of Scripture owned by just the people in this room or just by the church itself. There's a case back here, there's some here. I know that at the mission, we've got so many Bibles, we literally can't give them all away. And we try very actively. <laughs> But they're, they're, they're everywhere. And that's a good thing, don't get me wrong. But the problem today is not that we don't have access to the Bible, is that we have, we have the Bible, but we don't open it and read it ourselves. So we have no excuse whatsoever. We can't say, well, I, I would love to read and study the Bible and know what you say, Lord, but I don't have one. Yeah, you do. We all do. Everywhere. So what is the Bible profitable for? Paul tells us four things here. One, number one, it's profitable for teaching. The Bible has the answers to all that we need to know for salvation and for how to live our lives. Now, it's important there that we said it has everything that we need to know. Does the Bible have everything that we want to know? No, it does not. But the Bible does have everything that we need to know about how to be saved. In fact, there's no other way we will know how to be saved outside of Scripture. The Bible tells us everything we need to know about how to live our lives in ways that is pleasing and honoring to God. In fact, that's the only way we know. Otherwise, it's just guessing. We just will try this or we'll try that, and that's what the pagans do, but that's not how we're supposed to live our lives. The Bible tells us very clearly. It will teach us. It will show us exactly what we need to do to be saved and exactly what we do once we're saved to please and honor God. Number two, the Bible is profitable for reproof. That is, it exposes our sin. If you read through the Bible and you find that you feel guilty and you feel convicted, that is a good thing. That means the Holy Spirit is working in your life and working on your heart. None of us are going to read the Bible through and go, mm, yeah, I'm good. I got it all figured out. No, 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 no. 
We're going to read through the Bible and we should be convicted. We should see that God is telling us that what we are doing, what we are thinking, how we are acting is wrong and it is opposition to his character. And the Bible is going to show us that all the time if we are reading and studying the Bible. But it goes on from there. It goes on to correction. So when the Bible does expose our sin and does show us where we are wrong, it helps us to fix that sinful behavior and to get back on track. So the Bible just doesn't call us out as sinners and hopeless and we just go, oh man, what are we going to do now? But it tells us, yeah, you are sinners. You have fallen short, but here's what you can do to get back on track. Here's what you can do to fix those things. Here's how you can repent and walk the right way. Fourthly, it says the Bible is profitable for training in righteousness. So it's positive training in godly behavior. So it's not just you're wrong, here's how to fix it, but here's what you need to be doing to live a life that is pleasing to God. We don't have to guess. We don't have to get. You don't have to go, and I guess I was about to say go to the Christian bookstore. There's not many of those left anymore, but go online and find some Christian book about what to do and how to live your life and how to please God, just open the Bible. Just read through and see these are timeless truths that have never changed. And so that training in righteousness is what we need. So what are the results? Well, the results of that, he tells us there in verse 17, is that we will be a complete man of God. We have all we need in the Bible. We don't need anything else. Is it a good thing to study theology and to study church history and other disciplines like that? Well, sure. But good theology is all going to come back to and come from the Word itself. And so the Word is the root of all things. Everything we have is there. You want to be a complete man of God, a complete woman of God? You want to live your life in such a way that is honorable to Him? Study the Word. Know the Word, backwards and forwards. And you are in a good church here. I've heard nothing but good things about your congregation. In fact, the way that the Bible is, is taught and preached to you on a weekly basis, but that's not enough. That's a good thing by far, but you have got to open the Bible and you've got to study it and read it on your own. So you can't only rely on church leadership to direct you in the right way, which is important, but you have got to take a personal stake in that as well and open that Bible so you can be complete spiritually. And lastly, to be equipped for every good work. You're ready to go for everything. You're ready to go and you're ready to serve God in whatever capacity he's set forth. And, and that's different for each and every one of us. How God has equipped us and how he has gifted us and how he's going to use us to serve him is going to be different, but he is going to use us to serve him. Some of us, it's going to be a full-time ministry. Some of us, it's going to be in some service at the church or some service at a school or, or in your own business, in your own way, but still reflecting good and godly and biblical principles on those around you. So the last thing I want to look at here is just moving on in the text to uh, chapter 4, the first five verses here to kind of wrap this up. And Paul is speaking here primarily to Timothy who is a young pastor, so we have to keep that in mind. That's the primary intent of the text here. But he says, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, proclaim the message, persist in it, whether convenient or not, rebuke, correct, encourage with great patience and teaching, for the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. 
but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, be serious about everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, again, I recognize very clearly, and I'm not trying to stretch the text too far here, that this is speaking of pastoral leadership here. But I think the general principles ring true for all of us as Christians. We are to, as verse 2 says, proclaim the message. Some translations say preach the word. And when are we to preach the word? When are we to tell other people about what the Bible says? It says whether it's convenient or not. So is it convenient? We'll do it. Is it not? Well, still do it. That, That pretty much sums it all up there. All the time we're to do that. And what are we to do? We're to rebuke, we're to correct, we're to encourage. Now it's easy to encourage, to come alongside someone and tell them how great they're doing and how super everything's going in their walk. We all like to do that. It's a little more difficult to rebuke and correct someone when they need to be rebuked and corrected. By the way, it's also very difficult to accept rebuke and correction when it is given in a loving manner. Verse 3, the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. Yeah, that time is now. That time is now. But according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. The rescue mission, we have a book sale every year, as probably most of you are aware of. We've done that for many years now. And uh, part of our duties when we get in all the books is to kind of sift through them as best we can. We get a a lot of them. But best we can to, to sift through and get rid of things that are blatantly heretical in their teaching. And unfortunately, there's a lot of that. And what's sad is just to see how much is out there and how much that's out there that's bad. And, and that's, that's so true in the world today. There's a lot of people out there that claim to be Christians, a lot of people out there that claim to be teachers of the word that are just false, that are just wrong. They're not based on scripture. They're not based on what the Bible says whatsoever. And why is this? Because they have an itch to hear something new. Yeah, yeah, we've heard the Bible. We've heard those stories. I've heard about Jericho and the walls falling down and Daniel and the lion's den and the gospel so many times. But this guy, he's telling me something I've never heard before. By the way, there's nothing new in theology except for heresy. (laughs) That's it. All of theology is old because it all comes from Scripture. There is nothing new there. So he says then in conclusion... Verse 5, but as for you, be serious about everything. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. That's true for all of us. Be serious about everything. It doesn't mean you can ever joke or never have a good time. That's not what he's talking about here. But as far as the ministry is concerned, be serious. Take this seriously. This is not a part of our lives. This is not just something we do on occasion. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm also a golfer. I'm also, okay, yeah, but this is everything should be everything to us, is our identity in Christ and our faith. We need to be very serious about that. Endure hardship. Again, it's coming. Some of you have endured it. Some of you are enduring it. And if you're not, you will. We all will endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. That doesn't mean you quit your job and you travel around the country preaching the gospel. Maybe it does for some people. That does not what that means for most of us. But all of us know somebody that is not saved. It's your neighbor. It's your friend. It's your brother, it's your mom, it's your dad, it's your cousin, it's your coworker. They're all over the place. We know people who aren't saved. The work of an evangelist is to tell those that don't know the gospel about the gospel and proclaim it to them. And then lastly, fulfill your ministry. 
Do what God has called you and equipped you to do. Now, I don't know what that is in every single one of you, but more than likely you do. You know how God has equipped you, you know how God has gifted you, and you know what you need to do to serve him and to honor him with your lives. Before we close completely, I, need, I do, uh, since I am from the rescue mission, do need to give a little plug to the mission, talk about the mission for just a few minutes, and then we'll close. Uh, I was last here, I think it was about two years ago, maybe more, and it was, it was during COVID, but nobody really knew what was going on yet, and in fact, I think I was here because your pastor had COVID, if I remember right, now that I'm thinking about it. Anyway, that changed everything. And the reason I bring that up is it, it has really changed things at the mission as well. Uh, when I first started at the mission, I've been there since uh, 05. And when I first started there, we were full all the time. And we were like bursting at the seams. And, and the big reason for that was because we had the Tyson meat plant uh, that was in Norfolk there. That closed in like 06 or something. And, and since then, our numbers dropped off quite a bit. They were cut in half, basically, from the amount of guys that were coming in all the time. But it stayed like that, those numbers anyway, until we hit COVID. And then everything went wackadoo, as we all know in many ways. And one of the things that was odd that we noticed is rather than a bunch of people coming, a bunch of people stopped coming. And for the most part in our overnight guest program, which is the main, when you think about the mission and people just coming in and they need to get a job and they need to get things back on track, that's what we call the overnight guest program. That program dropped down to hardly anybody. We'd have two or three at a time. Uh, and there, there's been stretches where we had nobody in the men's dorms. Now the other programs are still going as normal. The New Life program, which is the year-long Christian discipleship program and that was about the same. That didn't change a whole lot. But that overnight guest program just dropped. And so we thought, well, okay, maybe it's because everybody's getting these unemployment things and they're getting this money from the government for this or that because of COVID. But then when that stops, I'm sure we'll see them all back again. And that stopped and they didn't come back. I don't know where these people went. <laughs> we know they're still there because we still see them coming for meals all the time. We, we still serve probably around 100 plates a day for people coming in for breakfast, for lunch, for supper. Um, so we know they're still out there. People are still coming for assistance to get uh, food boxes, to get a couch, to get pots and pans and things like that. But the nature of the ministry has changed quite a bit since COVID, and we really don't know why. And so for a long time, we were just kind of anticipating everybody's going to come back and we'll get back to normal. But as we're all aware, there's kind of a new normal now. And so there's a new normal at the mission as well. And so while we still do everything we've always done and we'll continue to still do everything we've always done, we're, we're starting to branch off and look at some other ways in which we can serve people, some other ways in which we can serve and help the church. And so we've been talking about that. We've been kind of testing a few new programs, which we're not ready to publicly tell everybody. Um, but it's been an interesting opportunity to see how God is working differently now and how there's still people out there that are in need, and so that's still a big part of what we do, of course, but we're looking at, at doing some other things to continue to help the church and continue to help those in need the best that we can. And it's, it's been an interesting growing experience for us. We still have an active jail ministry. Uh, we still go to many of the county jails. We go to Madison. We go to Antelope. Uh, we go to, uh, those are the two big ones. We go to Pierce. 
Uh, those are the ones that we go to on a regular basis to minister to the inmates there. We still have people, like I mentioned, coming for meals all the time. They come for a meal. Uh, they're going to hear the gospel message at supper. It's uh, always tied into our chapel service, which is very evangelistic. And so no matter how things have changed, the focus of the mission has not changed, the primary focus, and that is making sure that everyone hears the gospel. And so rather they're coming to stay with us, rather they're coming to eat with us, rather they're coming to get a couch from us or whatever it is, they're going to hear the gospel and they're going to hear the need for the Savior. And so, so many of these people, it's, they're so lost and they're so lost in this world and they're so lost in sin and it is such an, another culture that most of us just are not used to and are not familiar with. But, but we preach the word. And, and we preach that the only way out of sin, the only way out of addiction is not some secular program. It's not some way that you do this or that. The only way out of that is Christ. And the only way out of that is the gospel. And there's no other way around it. And so no matter what their initial problem is that they're coming to us for, we know that there's a bigger need there. And that bigger need is that they need to know Christ. So ways that you can help the mission you can pray for us. It is an intense spiritual battlefield. People that are very, very hardened. I went into this being so naive, thinking that, oh, these people are going to just love to hear the gospel because, you know, they've, they've lost every... No, they're not. They've heard it all a hundred times. They've been down this road and that road, and they're very hardened. But that doesn't stop the Holy Spirit, and that doesn't stop His working in someone's heart. So pray for those that come to the mission. Pray that they will receive the gospel and that God will open the eyes of their heart to hear him. Also, there's many ways that you can get involved volunteering. We're always looking for volunteers to help in jail ministry uh, if you want to be involved. And it can be low-key as if you're, you're answering letters from inmates, writing back and forth, or actually going and visiting. You can visit one-on-one. -on -one. You can do, there's group settings in some of the jails. It depends on the county. Uh, you can help come and serve a meal at the mission. That'll really give you kind of a first-hand exposure as to what we do. Uh, many, many, many ways. If, you ever just, if you're not even familiar with the mission, you want to come check it out, just stop by sometime. We'd be happy to give you a tour and talk to you more about what we do there at the rescue mission. <clears throat> but in closing today, I'd like to read a prayer. Uh, this is from a book called The Valley of Vision. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that. Oh, that's the wrong one. But this is a collection of Puritan prayers, uh, very, very, very rich, theologically rich, very biblical in what they say. So even though it is already written out, we will treat this as a prayer, and we will pray this together in closing. O God of truth, I thank Thee for the Holy Scriptures, their precepts, promises, directions, light. And then may I learn more of Christ, be enabled to retain His truth and have grace to follow it. Help me to lift up the gates of my soul that he may come in and show me himself when I search the scriptures. For I have no lines to fathom its depths, no wings to soar to its heights. By his aid may I be enabled to explore all its truths, love them with all my heart, embrace them with all my power, and graft them into my life. Bless to my soul all grains of truth garnered from thy word. May they take deep root. Be refreshed by heavenly dew, be ripened by heavenly rays, be harvested to my joy and thy praise. Help me to gain profit by what I read, as treasure beyond all treasure. 
a fountain which can replenish my dry heart. Its waters flowing through me as a perennial river, on drawn by thy Holy Spirit. Enable me to distill from its pages faithful prayer that grasp the arm of thy omnipotence, achieves wonders, obtains blessings, and draws down streams of mercy. From it, show me how my words have often been unfaithful to thee, injurious to my fellow men, empty of grace, full of folly, dishonoring to my calling. Then write thy own words upon my heart and inscribe them on my lips. So shall all glory be to thee in my reading of thy word. Amen.